experiment. All right, here we go. Oh, and that's what I thought. Okay. And welcome to Film Church, a podcast about filmmaking concepts and the cinema. Join us as we become lizards lost in the wires of a movie. be going over a forthcoming film fest, the Brussels International Fantastic Film Festival. In uh, Movie Magic Minutes, I'm going to be talking about Thea von Harbu and Film School Facts, Framing the Shot, Camera Shots. So lots of fun stuff to cover. And uh, so I have an old friend of mine from film school on tonight. Dominic D'Angelo. Dominic, how you doing? Good. How are you doing, Debugby? Oh, so good. So good. It's been way too long. Last time I saw you was at the uh, uh, school reunion, film school reunion, it was like College of Santa Fe. It wasn't like the 20-year reunion, was it? It might have been. It, it could have been, yeah. That's scary. Was it, was it that long? I mean, now it's even longer. <laughs> Yeah, it's nuts. It's super nuts. How you been doing though? What are you What are you doing these days? Uh, I, well, I have my own little production company. Nothing uh, too special. Mostly, I work for um, hospitals and lawyers. They need filmmakers too, uh, and construction companies. So uh, I don't know. It, it's fun. I always do something uh, new and interesting every week. So. One thing with me is I always get bored, so it's always fun to do. Well, you can't complain about that. It's good to get work. Tell me a little bit more about that. Cause is that more like, would you call it industrial filmmaking? Well, what, what, kind of, what kind of stuff are you putting out? Essentially, like after I graduated film school, I realized that uh, I was an asshole and I really couldn't work with anybody. So it's like, uh, you know, I'm going to start my own business. That way I never have to deal with people again. That seemed to to go really, really well. Yeah, I don't, I've always been interested in the law. I try to get a lot of film jobs with lawyers. Usually it's something like recording a deposition or um, recording, uh, trying to do what they do on CSI where they, they, they enhance all these images where they could show it to the jury. doesn't really work like it does in CSI, but uh, <laughs> as long as people believe that it does, I, I, I get paychecks. Hey, that's a, that's what really matters in the end. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cool. Well, um, it's, it sounds like a fun thing to try out. So I'm going to go into while well, talking briefly about this, so um, it's kind of kind of weird, but I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm about to declare this festival awesome. So the forthcoming film festival BIFFF, or the Brussels International Fantastic Film Fest, supposedly is coming up here in April, April sixth through the eighteenth. 
but there's not a lot of information on their website. So I'm not 100% sure it's going to be public, but they are saying that it's going to be an online film fest. And this festival is known for their science fiction and fantasy films. Um, in the past, they have, let's see here, let me, let me pull this up here real quick. Some of the big films that have come through, uh, Army of Darkness back in 93 were wow. considered like the, the best, best picture of that time. Uh, <laughs> Long, Dog Soldiers, 2002, uh, all, all sorts of, of lesser known or kind of cult classics. Uh, so The Host by Boon Jong-hoo and uh, quite a few. Quite a few, so it's it's worth checking out. I think, uh, especially since it's a year when everything is going online, and we have a chance to potentially participate. But again, like some of the other film festivals I've been talking about on the podcast, have definitely said like this is a public event. So far, the website has like a flyer uh, talking about the the amazing artist that they're um, kind of that had, did the first flyer, and that's all the info I got. I sent them an email, but I didn't get an email back yet. Uh-huh. So ho- hopefully it's a public thing and we can go check out some really cool upcoming hard to find science fiction films that may or may not get released in the long run. What, when is when is this again? This is um, April 6th through the 18th. And it's, Wow. Okay. So you'll go to bifff.net. Okay. And that's their main site. But yeah, they've been going on since the 80s, early 80s and um keeping it real for the sci-fi fantasy film stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that'll be cool. I'm I'm really sick of this uh, pandemic. I am ready for it to end. And if you know what it feels like it is, it's, it feels like it's yeah. slow, but it's it's ending a little bit. Hopefully. I, I, I think so. It, I hope so as well. It's been a weird year to say the least. It has been a weird few years. <laughs> it's just been a weird. It feels like years. it's been a decade. The last twelve months has felt like forever. It's weird. It's such a strange time. Oh man, yeah. Take a deep breath. Let it all go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, it is time for movie Thea von Harbo was a German novelist, screenwriter, and aspiring actress and occasional film director. She was a child prodigy who learned several languages and played the piano and violin. She became enthralled with acting and wanted to strike out on her own rather than take advantage of her wealthy family situation. Around World War I, she focused her efforts on writing novels. Her first experience with cinema was with German director Joe May, who wanted to adapt one of her stories. As a film worker, she was known for taking care of the crew, searching out food during a time when food was scarce. Von Harbo worked in acquiring food for her film crew, one friend recounted, quote, she was even able to talk the UFA, the Universum Film AG, into carrying the cost so the crew could get their meals for free. She stood there on the rough floor of that drafty shed for hours and didn't mind peeling potatoes or cleaning vegetables with other women. Such was the spirit of sacrifice, unquote. 
As screenwriter on many films, she would regularly adapt those scripts into complete novels. When it came to the film Metropolis, released in 1927, she would write the book first, with the intention of adapting it for the screen. From her connection with May, she met Fritz Lang, and they began collaborating and eventually getting married. They worked together on Metropolis, while filming took place over a two-year period. Fritz, reflecting years later, said, After he finished Metropolis, he didn't much care for it. <laughs> but it was Thea who did retain credit for screenwriter on Metropolis, even though Lang would later only refer to her as scenarist. Uh, Lang, Lang, I, I, I kind of had trouble, because I know Americans always just say Fritz Lang. Yeah. But I feel like Germans say more like Fritz Lang. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I, I'm I'm trying to you know be good about the pronunciation of these 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 names here. Anyway, uh, Thea von Harbu wrote somewhere between sixty to eighty scripts and worked in the industry for quite some time, working into the early nineteen fifties. Some of her works went uncredited, which was very common at the time. She divorced Long and secretly married a younger Indian journalist. Ayi Tendulkar. At this time, the Nazi party was coming to power, and Thea continued to make films for the state. She claimed she only joined the Nazi party to help Indian immigrants in Germany, like her husband. Lang's biographer, Patrick McGilligan, wrote he, her direct work on behalf of the government consisted, she claimed, entirely of volunteer welding, making hearing aids, and emergency medical care. In fact, she received a Medal of Merit for saving people in two air raids. After attending a theatrical showing of Der Mood Todd, Destiny, in 1921, as guest of honor in 1954, she fell outside the theater and suffered a hip injury. On July 1st, 1954, she died at the age of 65. And that is a short story there on Thea von Harbu. I didn't know that uh, she was responsible for the, the writing of Metropolis. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. Never knew that either. I really like Metropolis. It's a great film. If anybody hasn't seen it, it it's a great film. I know there's lots of different versions out there. I, I believe somebody somebody found like a complete version of it. Unless I might be mistaken. Have you heard about that? Yeah, yeah, there was a museum. I think it was in Argentina that had a print, a dusty old print uh, that they pulled out. And then uh, there was another print, I think it was New Zealand, and they combined the two and they were able to recover um, almost the entire film. Uh huh. So I think that's the version that you can get now, like on Blu ray, or that's like widely released out there. So it's definitely worth checking out. Um, he definitely he didn't. He had problems with it because of the, of the rise of the Nazi party after the fact, like after it was released and uh, he, you know, he fled Germany and, and made a career here in the United States. Uh, he was, he was Jewish, right? I believe so. I believe so. But uh, he definitely didn't agree with what was going on over there. And, yeah. and his wife, his wife kind of got all tangled up in it and she ended up marrying an Indian. So I don't know. It's kind of a interesting little story there. Yeah. It seems like it. Well, 
real real quick like i'm i'm going to ask you to, to help me out on this next part here okay Cinema! Cinema! film school fact framing the shot camera shots so framing the shot consists of you know considering your subject matter deciding where the camera frame will begin and end you know com- composing the shot so the size of the shot, the relationships of your subjects, balancing it out. Last week I talked about the rule of thirds, but this is all about where you, where the filmmaker is deciding to put that camera. What was, what will make the composition within the frame? Yeah. So, you know, this is kind of a, a basic thing that we, we talk about in, in film school, you know, you got your establishing shot, and down to the um, extreme close-up, right? And then everything in between. There was one thing I came across. Yeah, I, in film school, I remember uh, Gene Youngblood talking about the Plan American shot, which was like the French version of, they call it the, the American shot, which now I guess is called the cowboy shot. Have you heard of this? Do you remember I anything I about that? I don't remember it. You're going to have to refresh my memory. Yeah, so that one's kind of right in the middle. So cowboy shot was um, basically head down to mid thighs, so that uh-huh. you can get you can get that that gunslinging action. <laughs> but it was also popular just during that the time uh, when a lot of those cowboy films were out. I believe in Europe they were they were using that shot as just kind of like an, another another you know stylistic choice. But basically, you know, from maybe just above the knee, all the way up to like you know, a little tiny bit of headroom. Like, uh, uh, good, the bad, and the ugly at at the where they're all looking at each other at the very end of the movie, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you know, down to like you can talk about the medium shot too, where it's just uh, your your waist up, and it's very popular when you have like two people in a shot and you're just talking back and forth. You might, you know, start doing that over the shoulder reverse shot. The, uh, let's see, I don't want to, I'm kind of skipping around in here, but the establishing shot is more of like, I I always kind of confuse that with the the long shot because it's sometimes one and the same or like a wide shot. So your establishing shot might be a little bit different though, because it's, you're establishing a situation, right? They're establishing uh-huh. a scene, so it's not necessarily people, but you have um, a setting rather than just um, people in the shot for maybe like a long shot where you can see someone from head to toe um, and then some extra space in between. Yeah. Versus, yeah. Yeah, like 2001. Um, you know, I, I just recently rewatched that film and I noticed that uh, they don't do it so much anymore, but like three-fourths of that movie are establishing shots. They'll do an establishing shot, and then another establishing shot, and then another establishing shot, and it just goes on and on. It's a gorgeous movie to watch, but uh, I'm kind of glad... Well, I guess it depends on on what kind of mood you're trying to get to, but uh, um, I think with the MTV generation now, they can't do that anymore. Just these really long long shots where it's just like focusing on uh, a cup of coffee or a spaceship for like three minutes. <laughs> you know? Right. That's the, the timing. You don't see that very often anymore, if at all. No. 
I, I think people just with, with I, I think MTV did it and also YouTube too, where people are just oh, yeah. too, uh, they just, we need to keep on moving. People get bored too easily now. Right. Right. It's the commercialization of everything, which uh-huh. the, the film we're going to talk about really gets into consumerism. So that'll be a fun way to link all this up. Oh, you know, um, before I forget, I have to say this. I watched THX like two nights ago just because I was preparing for this. And I had heard this years ago, but forgot about it. And there is a scene where Robert Duvall is like watching TV. And this guy is like beating another guy. And that's because that's what everyone watches on TV. They just watch someone getting beating, beaten. Right. And the sound of that is uh, the same sound that is at the very beginning of Nine Inch Nails, the downward spiral of like, right. uh, uh, was it the first track or Hello Piggy? I don't know if you remember that, but that's THX, that, that whole uh, that whole punching bag sound. That's right. Yeah, that was the song, Mr. Self-Destruct. Yeah, yeah that was it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, um, I remember, you know, I, I was really into that album that came out in 94, I think. Uh-huh. So I was just, you know, getting out of high school. Um, there we go. That's how old I am. And uh, a, a few years later, I saw THX. I'm like, what? What is that? I know that sound. <laughs> when that scene came on, uh-huh. I was like, and yeah, it was kind of a cool, like, wow, that was a cool homage. And almost that that song um, has some overtones of of the film. I feel as well. If you look at the lyrics for that particular song. Did you see the new version of THX where they added all the new special effects or have you just seen the old version of it? Yeah, no, I have, I have the new director's cut. Um, uh-huh. I don't, I kind of like to get a copy of the original cause that's how I saw it the first time, of course, but that was I, like 2004 when it came uh, out. I disagree with you. You know, there were a lot of parts with, uh, I mean, it's George Lucas, obviously, and he loves to take her around with his films, yeah. but, I think he did just the right amount of tinkering with it where it doesn't change anything. It just adds like these little moments out of that entire film. There's probably maybe uh, probably less than a minute of new shots in there, but those mm-hmm. new shots like really add a lot to the, to building the world of it. Oh yeah. Don't get me wrong. I, I love the director's cut. I, I, um, I just want to see, I, I'd like to do a comparison to remember all of the original stuff. Cause I know he added a lot, especially towards the end when they're doing like the car scenes. Um, a lot of, a lot of the scenes around the city, you know, he added, but uh, it was like you said, it, it only added to the story and it brought you further into that world. Yeah. hundred so, percent. But yeah, I, I wouldn't mind having a copy of both just to, to watch the old version. Cause I don't, I don't think I have the director's cut on DVD. Well, you can get it on each. I, I watched it on HBO Max now. Well, did that have the original, or did you watch the new? No, one? it was the uh, the new one. Okay, all right, yeah. So I I have the new one. So that's that's the version I watched as well in preparation. Oh. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I'm, in terms of the film, the 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 shots, I'm gonna post the whole list in the show notes. And then you can also go to filmchurch.org and uh, read more about the shots. Cause I feel like there's way too much to go into and we should start talking about the movie. Yeah. yeah? <laughs> Definitely. 
So um, in terms of THX 1138, it was released in 1971, uh, filmed in 1970, written, I think they started writing it in 69, uh, George Lucas and Walter Murch. But, uh, maybe even before that, because he uh, that was originally his uh, film, his film uh, thesis when he was right. at uh, USC. That's right. He It was a short film that he won many awards. Yeah, and the reason why why he won those awards is because he ended up filming at, on uh, old aircraft carriers. So he went to the uh, Navy and he said, look, if you allow me to use all your equipment, I will teach your I will teach you Navy guys how to how to become filmmakers if you just let me use the sets in here. Thanks. And because of that, uh, I don't know if you remember when we were in film school, but one of the worst things about film school is that everybody would just go into the dorms and make something. Nobody ever went outside. Nobody. It was just like nobody put any creativity in coming in making shots. But George Lucas just like he he really went out there and uh, and just made the most of a student film. And after he did that, I mean, Hollywood really came knocking on his door. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much how he got this. I mean, it, he won a lot of awards, and then uh, Francis Ford Coppola picked it up, and it was uh, American Zeotrope's first feature film. Yeah, I, uh, right. I guess was it? It wasn't Finnegan's Rainbow. It was. Uh, hold on, it was some Robert Duvall film, and Luke, Lucas was working on it under the table, and that's how uh, Coppola and uh, Lucas met. And they weren't really famous yet, but uh, they got like a, a really big friendship. And then um, they both decided that they wanted to make their own film company. And uh, Coppola came up with the idea of American Zorotrope. And he made this deal with Warner Brothers where they were going to make 10 films for him. And the first film they were going to do was THX. And they were going to do other ones like uh, uh, what became... Apocalypse Now was going mm. to be made. What was right. going to become the conversation was going to be made. Anyway, to make a long story short, the, they they really went head first into America. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, into THX. Warner Brothers really hated it. Oh yeah. And uh, <laughs> at one point, Lucas was so scared because he was getting so much pressure from the top. He thought they were going to steal the work print. So at one point, him and Walter Munch. And uh, there was some other guy, I, f I forget his name, the writer of THX. Uh, I, I don't remember his name. Well, Walter the, Munch was, was really important because he was the sound designer for uh, Star Wars and directed Return to Oz, which is... Yes, yes, he did. But uh, yeah. anyway, they like snuck on to Warner, to Warner Brothers' lot and like after a show screening... Like Walter Munch went in and, and they're like, we're here to pick up the work print. And then they left thinking that uh, to prevent Paramount from stealing it. But to make a long story short, they decided Paramount didn't want to invest any money into it. And it the company went bankrupt. And because it went bankrupt, uh, a few things happened. One is Coppola didn't have any money. So uh, Paramount went up to him and he's like, look, we've got this really soapy story we want you to direct. 
Uh, I mean, you're going to make a ton of money from it, but it's kind of against, I mean, you might be offended because of all the anti-Italian-American uh, uh, stuff in it, but you don't really have a choice. So <laughs> you need to make this. So anyway, to make a long story short, he ended up having to do make The Godfather because he lost everything with uh, THX. And Lucas had to uh, end up deciding to go the, a more poppy route right. and uh, make American Graffiti afterwards. Which both of those films ended up being like very monumental for, for both of them. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and, I don't and know. if it hadn't been for THX, none of them would have been made. True, exactly. It was the stepping stone. And uh, in my opinion, a great one. I love this movie. It's funny because George Lucas does not, he, he says that this is not a science fiction film. <laughs> it's a science fiction film. <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it is if it's not a science fiction film. I mean, it's pretty much, it's essentially, uh, what what is it, uh, Brave New World, but under, underground? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's it's different. This This whole movie was... I don't know. It, it's it's hard to explain, but he he himself said it was avant garde. Now I don't, I don't. I think there's a lot of people that might argue that it's not really an avant garde film, but it, it was very experimental, and he kind of followed the experimental lines that he he created with the short film. Uh huh. But but it was something that I don't know. It's it's borderline, you know, because you do have some people saying like. It's not experimental enough. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be something that pushes the limits, and it was. I mean, for the time, I mean, it, it's it's very out there in that you're he's constantly throwing different images at you. He's running two different kind of stories because he's really explaining like how the world works uh, in terms of shots, just disjunctive shots being kind of just thrown in there, and then you kind of go back to the main characters. Uh huh. But I don't know. Would, would you call this an, an avant-garde film? Oh, I would definitely call it an avant-garde film. I, I think that's what... Uh, I don't know. I think if if um, Warner Brothers had maybe helped uh, advertise a bit more, I think it would have done a lot better than, than it had. True. As, especially for the time period, because 1971 was very drug experimental. Uh-huh. People were, you know, hanging out and watching 2001, you know, taking LSD or whatever, so they could experience the the end sequence and whatnot. So I think, yeah, people were more open. So if it would have had a lot more promotion behind it, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, if if any, if there's any diehard Star Star Wars fans out there, you need to watch THX. There's like little little nuggets of what Star Wars was going to become in that film. Like the, the whole idea of the used dirty future is when you first see that in, in THX, you know, it's not, uh, it's not like Star Trek where everything's like gleaming and brand new and THX, everything is, is kind of like falling apart. And they brought that aesthetic in, into Star Wars. And right. then they got rid of it for the prequels, but, because, <laughs> but for Star Wars, they they left left it, right? Yeah, and uh, also what is amazing about that movie, and what I love 
every time I, I see it and listen to it is the sound design. I don't know if oh, you've yeah. ever like turned on the movie and just closed your eyes and just listened to it, but it's amazing. It's a journey. Yeah. It's its it own. It really is. It sounds like story. Like you can see the exact same sound design that's in Star Wars in THX, but it, it's very, I don't know, it's almost like almost a Lynchian to a certain point with, with the sound design. Um, I agree. Yeah. It also, was definitely experimental. It was the first time the word Wookiee was ever said. During the yeah. car chase, there one yes. that character like said, "Hey, I, I think we just hit a Wookiee down here." Right. <laughs> and I think uh, the director asked uh, whoever was recording that, "Like, what's a Wookiee?" And he's like, "Ah, it was my college roommate. I thought he'd get a kick out of me saying his name." <laughs> and thus, Wookiee was born into the Star Wars world. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I I caught that. I'd never caught that before until I rewatched it. Uh, couple days ago i i had the i like to turn on the the closed captioning to get to see like what what else is really going on because it's hard to catch especially all of the extra like not voiceover work um as well as just the the people talking through microphones and whatnot i'm explaining like what's going on in their situation and all the lingo that they spout there's a lot in there so yeah this was the first time i caught the wookie remark i forgot about that and yeah, it's weird. I, I like what this is about consumerism. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but people buy these like boxes, and there's no, and they're completely useless. As soon as they get the right. boxes home, they throw them away, and it was like, what? There's no point to these boxes. You just buy right. for no reason. So I, let's um let's get into some details. So I I I make some pretty extensive notes on on the the film. Uh, one because I love this movie and I, I kind of want to go through not exactly scene by scene, uh-huh. but um, talk about some of that stuff. So it, the film opens here. We're gonna we're gonna ruin the movie for everybody at this point. Yeah, we're gonna talk uh, you about guys specific. Stop what you're doing now. Watch the movie and then come back because it's a great exactly. movie. Exactly. Classic science fiction. And yes, it is science fiction. So scene one, you've got that extreme close-up that reoccurs throughout the movie of that numerical readout and the beeping. And uh, the first numbers, if I remember right, I I forgot to write it down for the very first one. I think it's, is it a five? I thought it was a seven, but so close up you can't really tell. Right, yeah. So you go, you see this, and then you, you got this series of cuts to black. And uh, you, there's the medicine cabinet video where somebody is like pops the door open and uh, something's going on. And the mechanical voice says, What's wrong? And uh, they say, like, Nothing. I just need something stronger. So you get the sense that there's some. Um, a lot of medication right out of the bat. You see like well, the medication what, over and over. What I think is happening is it, I think it starts out with Robert De Niro, not Robert De Niro. I'm sorry. Uh, Robert Duvall, Robert Duvall, another mm-hmm. Godfather alumni. Robert yeah. Duvall opens up to get the medicine cabinet and the, and it's also weird because you have like these weird voices and cameras inside your medicine cabinet that, uh, and they're, yeah, and it's just really creepy voice, just like, what's wrong? 
Right. And he's just like, I, I don't feel right. Anyway. Well, and this is a flash forward actually, because you'll see. I don't a think it's a flash forward. I, I think it's, I think it's, yeah, I, I got the impression that it was happening now. I didn't get the impression that it was a flash forward because well, I get the I, I think what's happening at the beginning of the movie, his wife has already started to like decrease his drugs, mm-hmm. and he's starting to feel the side. Oh, that's another thing about this film is like there are no emotions with everybody. Everyone is on drugs, and it it causes people not to feel emotions. I think it's etrazine because they keep talking about etrazine. I, is it even real? No, is it a real drug. I don't think it's real. no. It's just a fictional, but that's what they call it. Yeah. So uh, the reason I think it's a flash forward, at least you know, a slight one, because you know that the, the cabinet scene. There's the one where he says, "I need something stronger." So he is already being deprived of his drugs, and then it also cuts right next to it with um, La L U H. Uh huh. She opens it and it says, what's wrong? And she says, never mind. Uh, is the uh, character's wife. Correct. And yes. she hasn't been in that many films. She has. She was in five easy pieces, played like this like mild love interest that Jack Nicholson had in five easy pieces. Uh, but that's pretty much the only that's thing it. she's yeah. been in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think Lucas said he cast her because she looked really good without her hair. Yeah. Oh, do you, speaking about hair, did you hear about the rest of the extras? Yes, yeah. And and like yeah, well, he had to there was this weird cult and it was at first it was supposed to be a drug rehab place and right. part of the the, the drug well, rehab is that you had to like shave your head. But then they changed it and they said, "Okay, the thing about drugs is that you can never leave the program. So once you're in the program, you're here for life." <laughs> and uh and so it became a cult. But George Lucas hired all these uh, occult members to be extras in the film because they all had their head shaved already. Uh, I, I heard Walter Murch talking about this, and I think he said that they, at the time they were just a company that was helping these drug addicts get back into normal life. They were they were going a little off the deep end back in the early 70s. <laughs> so they, they might have thought that, but they were way off the deep end by then. That's Definitely funny. not Jonestown. I mean, it was like the San Francisco area. So who knows? Maybe there might've been a few Jonestown people there. Same area. Anyway. (laughs) Well, so I want to, I want to just, I want to get your opinion on this because when, when that scene, the video scene through the medicine cabinet, she says, "Never mind." later on in the film, we see that again after he's been deprived of the drugs for quite a while, she goes back to the mirror and opens it up and, because he's already fallen down uh-huh. and the, the mirror's open and it's just saying what's wrong over and over and over. And the reason it, that it's shown here is because they're going through all of this like voice analysis of her saying, never mind, never mind. And you see like that pattern. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Waves. So this, this is like a flash forward, like an introduction to what you're about to see later in the film. And to just kind of make you feel like you're in this weird, disjunctive world that, um, I mean, so I, I did watch the commentary on, uh, I tried to anyway, uh, for parts of it. They they said that the these shots were meant to make you feel like you're in, like in another country, but a, a country that's far into the future. 
so it's not necessarily a country, but it's like, imagine it was, you know, a film made in Japan and you're watching it as like from this different culture. Uh-huh. So they're, they're trying to make the film itself as if it was made by the people it, in this place or time. I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't you know. I, uh, I'll tell you what, in like five years, we're going to be opening up medicine cabinets and somebody's going to be asking someone in the Surrey is going to be asking us what's wrong. <laughs> it's already, it's, it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've, we've already got the, I mean, the pandemic helped us get to the video doctor visits. Yeah. You did, did any of that, but it's there. Uh, here. I, I had a phone visit with my doctor. But never oh, a video. Good. I haven't had a video visit with my doctor yet. <laughs> so. Well, I I do I highly recommend it if you don't want to be exposed. Uh, uh-huh. If you need if you need to like share something that is visual, um, it can be helpful. Yeah. Oh, I just got back. Uh, I just got my second vaccination today. Oh, nice. So I'm all I'm all set. Nice. They haven't yeah, done any of that here yet. Hell, some people yell at me that I have a chip inside me now, and the old Great <laughs> Gates now controls me. That's really <laughs> happened to me. That is, it's really, wow, yeah. it's yeah. it's crazy out there. Yeah, anyway. Oh yeah, I hear you, brother. It's there's two sides of the fence, and you're not. No, there's not very many sitting on it anymore. That's true. So that we. We kind of just get into the story. I mean, there was some other stuff with like boards lighting up and lots of cuts. There was a, a droid cop walking a kid to the elevator. Yeah, uh, one of the uh, I guess THX's job is he builds the androids that are in the movie, right? Um, and apparently, it's pretty dangerous. People are always blowing up when they're doing it, and I guess by him not taking his medication. Uh, or his wife depriving of his medication, it, it also makes it a little bit more dangerous uh, right. when he when he's doing it. Um, well, and ultimately, oh, no. that gives him up, right? That's that's how he gets caught. No, I think it's him uh, actually having sex with his wife that does that. I guess it was I, a combination. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'll keep uh, your head at once. I know that like THX actually stood for like. Uh, stood for like uh, sex was supposed to kind of be what it meant for and luv which is the female love interest standard for love and uh all the other characters had uh they had initials that stood for something right i think there was uh the scene when they're in prison and yeah they're, they're all being very philosophical each one of their names some there's one that was like Plato, like PLT or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So that that was intentional. <laughs> the Department of Biological Flow. I like that that mention. The terminology that they came up with uh, for this world was pretty fun. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We found it in the patching cells. We killed it. And she's like, they're like asking him to take pictures of this thing it's like they're poking under some kind of camera yeah it's just weird these little weird things that they focus on from a moment like you mentioned it like the lizards and in, in, in the wires yeah the getting that i really liked there's <laughs> just this weird like i think they like glued on some feathers onto a lizard yeah I, but I that was all 
that was added. That was added. So that was one of those enhanced scenes because in the original ah. film, it was just a lizard. Okay. Yeah, which was great. And it was amazing. So I, I guess Lucas, it was during the commentary, him and him merch are doing it at the same time. And, and Walter is like, yeah, that was a really beautiful shot. It, it didn't really mean anything. And then Lucas is like, well, actually, uh, the lizard is like, you know, he's lost in the wires and is kind of a, a, a theme that's going on. And that's actually like what THX is in this world. He's like this guy that's just lost in this computer and can't get out of it. Uh-huh. Crazy civilization. Oh, one thing that we didn't talk about is at the very, very beginning of the film, they have this tiny homage to Buck Rogers. Oh, yeah, is, the trailer. Is, yeah, and I guess what Lucas was saying was that uh, that he wanted to com- compare and uh, contrast them, how like Buck Rogers and uh, both THX were just regular guys just being thrown into uh, uh, a world that um, – that because of their outside perspective, they, they're able to uh, handle a little bit more. I don't right. know. Well, he, he was saying like Buck Rogers is just a normal guy that can yeah deal with this. Craziness. Yeah. Yeah. That was interesting. There was, um, so you, you had mentioned like the products there was a, over the loudspeaker at the beginning too, there was an announcement today only blue dendrites are only 47 credits by now. <laughs> So they I, I called just, they called those things dendrites. I think it was that's like referring to the shape of it or something. Yeah. Just but yeah, they, they literally sound just design of that movie is just incredible. If right? you ever want to creep someone out, just turn off the movie and just put on the soundtrack, <laughs> and it it's it creates this mood. I mean, it it really is. I mean, half the movie is just the visual design. I've never heard a better uh, uh, audio design for a film in my life than THX had. Right. Definitely not no like traditional music. There's, there's some, there, there's some, it's like this weird string music mm-hmm. that's at the very beginning right. that, that they have, but the, but the majority of it is just, just a Walter Murch's sound design that, that he got. And, you know, if it hadn't been for THX, I, he never would have done the sound design for Star Wars. Oh, sure. Yeah, well, they they went to film school together, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that brought them together initially, too. So, yeah, so they, they buy, he's buying these dendrites and then takes it home just to have it vaporized. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, so, the consumerism, it, it, so it's, they're just basically... A, like giving them something to do when they're not working even and it's nothing and they just just to get home so then they can turn on the holographic television yeah and use the the self-fulfilling masturbation machine at least he does i mean we don't we don't really see her do anything like that but she has other motives well i imagine there must be one for women oh sure show it but it's probably there well they allude they alluded to it because when he's flipping channels, you know, you see the, he's watching like the, the naked dancing woman for a moment, you see a naked dancing man. So you have to assume like there was, was something it, else going on. Do you know, was that in the original or was that in the new version? That was all original. That was the original. Yeah. I remember that looked amazing. And I was, I would, would have been 
I'm really surprised that they made it in the original version of that film. Yeah, no, that was, I don't know, like how they pulled that off exactly, but it was still like for the time it was groundbreaking. I'm sure just to try to get those like holographic style images or holograms. Uh huh. Oh man. We, we haven't even gotten to Donald presence yet. No. Yeah. We'll get there. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the theme cause they keep bringing up um, this Android officers. Right. And even throughout the beginning, there's some scenes where they're like escorting children around. So like yeah. you see a lot of them, like basically they're ingrained into society. So in depth that it, they're raising the children and there are no real parents anymore. It's all just built into this society. Yeah. Um, to the point where there's that scene, I'm going to jump back again just for a moment. There's the, the officer is escorting a very small child and up to an elevator and he's like encouraging the kid to like press the button but first he presses the button and then the kid presses the button once he shows it to him and then the the officer presses it again so it's very they're methodical and untrusting of these humans that they're caring for uh-huh so yeah so we basically we're at the part where la is messing with uh, his interval they call it interval dosage yeah and so that this is when he's starting to feel weird and she's encouraging him to experience love right uh, i would i would say it's emotion more than love because he doesn't know what the hell is going on i i believe like he's sick at first uh he like right. ends up going to this uh it looks like a confession booth but the booth there's no one in the booth it's just this uh this a picture that pops up in light and another robotic voice uh, asking you to do a prayer, but you can tell the thing's not listening to you. And it's just saying, you're doing great. Right. You're doing awesome. Yeah. Praise be. Here it is. <laughs> yeah. I copied down some of this down. So they call it a unit chapel. Yeah. And uh, so he, THX, he ends up puking in this thing because of, you know, the, the drug changes. But the thing's telling him, you are a true believer. Blessings <laughs> of the state, blessings of the masses. Thou art the subject of the divine, created in the image of man, by the masses, for the masses. Let us be thankful we have commerce. Buy more. Buy more now. Buy and be happy. <laughs> yeah and that's that's the central message i think of the film it's like you you i mean they're commenting on where they came from in the 60s you know going into 1970 and this i would say the 50s more than the 60s with the whole oh, consumerism culture or when it started sure yeah yeah and how it was just totally beating them over the head by the time this movie came out and now it's just fever pitch non-stop and you know that's our world in a different way but um yeah anyway that's that's kind of that's definitely one of the big themes throughout the movie consumerism by now <laughs> and then that we go back so this is after a little bit of time maybe we're like 20 minutes into the movie and then we get to that part where he collapses in front of the medicine cabinet 
and the thing saying what's wrong over and over. Yeah, and she and says, she goes, never, never mind. mind. Yeah. And uh, another close up. This is the second close up of that uh, numerical readout. And the numbers, I think, were going down. What I think these are, I think they are THX's monitor for his drug levels in his body. Because I noticed the numbers go down. And then once he gets caught and they start feeding him these things again, the numbers start going back up again. But that's just a guess. I don't know. Huh. It's hard to tell because, you know, they're in extreme close-up, but you can read at least one of the numbers partially. And there's a dot. So I'm assuming it's like a 0.5 or 0.6, and it goes up to 0.7, and then drops or something like that. Yeah. One thing we also have to talk about is how cheap this movie was made. Like, they almost all the entire movie was shot on location. Like oh, yeah. They were going into all... Uh, San Francisco BART tunnels before they were even open yet. And they were like, shoot down there. At one point, there's this chase scene happening with, uh, uh, where THX is being chased by the, the, the police. And he's uh, in the old AT&T building. And they allowed them to film in there because those were all rotary phones that they were throwing away. Right. So that whole system, that whole room was being gutted and they were yeah. replacing it with computer systems. Yeah. And yeah, they were talking about how that was uh, the, all the technicians were excited <laughs> to get rid of it, and they were excited to film it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool to see all that old tech, and it's also like I know that Lucas had made a point to say that the computer in this world—it's not the computer itself that is dominating or um, self-aware. It's just this calculating machine that helps enable this world to to be a you know something that functions but in conjunction with all the the people uh-huh and it, like they're just showing like old tech and even like phones with wires you know <laughs> and yet it's this crazy futuristic world strange world that's for sure yeah you don't even realize till the very end of the movie that they're even underground Right. I think, I believe yeah. the very last shot is them finally coming up to the surface. Oh yeah. And the, so this is something else too, like the, the credits at the very beginning. So they're, they're all just green, but they're going down. And I don't know if this is true, but Walter said that this is the only film that ever did that. <laughs> oh yeah. I remember that. It had backwards credits. I, yeah. I do remember that. I think a few more films have done that. Uh, I, I think so too. But at, I, I at this it point. probably was the first one to, to have ever done that. Right. And they said they wanted to make people feel like they were going underground because it was going down and down. Yeah, that was kind of a hidden, cool little hidden tidbit. They're about to get a little frisky now. Yeah, that's him, right. Him so and, him the forbidden, love. forbidden love. Yeah. I know at one point love is like, they're watching us. And mm-hmm. he's like, they're not watching us. That's right. Which I would have been like, yeah, they're probably watching us. Well, that, <laughs> yeah. So that he says, no one can see us. But then you, they cut directly to a row of eyes. Yeah, all staring at them. In close-up. And it racked focus, you know, from close-up to far away. And they're all on the right. And then you cut to another line of men on the left. 
and <laughs> it just kind of pans over until you see somebody's like eyeball. It, I thought that was interesting how they they think that they they might not be being watched or they they have an idea that maybe it's possible, but in reality it, they're so closely watched it's to an, a high extreme. Uh huh. Craziness. Do you think you could uh, compare the film 1984 with John Hurt to THX? Do you think they mesh well together? Well, they're both about dystopian societies, for sure. This is a very dystopian science fiction film. So in that sense, yeah. I mean, they're very persecuted, and you have to follow along with all the rules. Otherwise, you are... Uh, killed. Uh -huh. Although I have to say THX is a lot more hopeful than 1984 is. It is. Yeah. I mean, he, he makes it out. He, he, that's not to ruin the ending straight away, but <laughs> that's how, that's where the credits, you know, end. He, he makes it out to the surface. Yeah. So basically we're getting down to them almost getting caught at this point. So they, they're being watched, um, there's a whole video, you know, of them having sex. It's also being watched by Sen, S-E-N, uh, Donald Pleasance's character. Yeah. That's kind of our introduction to him. Like he's watching this thing. So he must be part of that. He's also referred to as being kind of a higher up. Sen is part of that request. So he requests La to have a shift change. They, they, her and uh, THX have a quick conversation about it because he sees this card in her hand or something. And she says, like, I have to go. He's a G34. So he has some kind of somewhat of, of a bit of power. And he's, uh -huh. got, he's got the ability to reprogram things. So he program shifts um, THX into be, trying to become his roommate. So at, at this point, we get this element of this other character kind of getting in the way of this love story, right, between DHX and LUH and kind of throwing a monkey wrench in there. Uh, I, I think that, I mean, at that point, they were already caught, just a matter of being kind of processed through the system. Oh, yeah. So there was a moment, too, where after that scene... Um, we find THX, he goes to, to another confessional, the Unichapel, and he's complaining about, she's trying to convince him to leave, right? So she says, like, we could leave, because he, he's like, we're never going to, this isn't going to work. We're going to get caught. And he needs his drugs in order to continue working, because he's going to slip. He's going to make a, a, a failure. He's going to screw something up and destroy the space that he works in so she says like we can just go and live in the superstructure and then it's kind of like the end of their their intimate scene uh -huh. we, get an, we get another readout of that uh, that numerical readout so it did it said this is one i documented it showed seven but then drops to four then five so i think that's when he takes the drug again before he goes on to the shift uh-huh and it helps him kind of stabilize, but it's it's still not enough. I mean, things well, things are going on. From what I understand, they somebody of the higher ups like make him like freeze for a bit 
you remember that part? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they put him in a like, mind they lock. Like, yeah, they put him in a mind lock. And I really like that part because at the end, it's like, hey, did somebody enter in a mind lock? Why is this guy in a mind lock? And like the receptionist who's like, oh, whoops, better yeah. turn the head off. And ends up destroying the whole lab. But I just love that. It just shows how that corporate world works even now. Yeah, the like, bureaucracy well, failures. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and then right before that, too, that's when SEN uh, calls THX in to his place and tells him, like, yeah, he's going to be his roommate because he's a very clean person. Uh huh. You rate very high in sanitation. I've checked. <laughs> you know, most most of the lines they gave Sen were from uh, Richard Nixon's speeches. I I, I heard that. <laughs> I, I want to see where these lines actually were said by him. That would be yeah, that would be interesting. Funny. Yeah, so he tells him he wants to be his roommate, and he's like, "Well, what did? You, where's Luh? What did you do with her?" And it's kind of like almost the last time he saw her was right before that. They do get one more meeting, but it's after the mind lock. There is that right before that he, he gets arrested, SEN like confronts him. He's like, I can go anywhere I want. I can reprogram, you know, coming into this restricted area. And then THX walks out and reports the violation. And so that he gets arrested as well. Uh, mind lock and for and then he's arrested for drug violation and what was it perversion or something something like that yeah yeah everything will be all right you are in my hands i'm here to protect you you have nowhere to go <laughs> uh yeah yeah those droids it's kind of creepy it is it, it, it's, it's an incredibly creepy movie but it, it is amazing. You'll never see another movie like THX. I mean, as I said, no, it's odd no, because sure. you see certain aspects that are in Star Wars, but it's way more original than, than Star Wars was. Just uh, oh yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I mean when they so he goes to trial and he gets um, convicted, pronounced incurable, and then we cut into the you know he basically goes into this prison field this white field and actually here's like an example right void yeah, exactly yeah here's an example of an extreme long shot you know, when you first see him in there you just see this tiny dot of like a white like a person's head and and you can kind of make out their body but so far away it's just like a tiny portion of the screen so there you go extreme long shot if you want to know what that is go to like the middle of the movie and you'll see this amazing monochromatic that's the other thing that's going on it's just white like everything is white um, to the extreme at this point like in the movie like even up to this point like everything's white like you uh -huh. don't the only thing that's black are the, the the police officers in their black uniforms and everything else everybody wears just white 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 i think i think there was one person i saw wearing like a peach color jumper and that that's that stood out to me i like I, I don't know even who that was but it was he was only in the shot for a moment i think it was what, another prisoner or i don't know but um did you notice that like and there was nobody else wearing other colors yeah i did notice that 
It was really stark. The entire film was. Yeah. So, yeah, he's he's kept out in this crazy field. And uh, there's that scene where he's being prodded by the three officers as soon as he gets let in there. They're like experimenting with him like he's a some kind of brat, like a lab rat. Uh-huh. I kind of felt like they were trying to re-educate him maybe because like what what scene is is that the one where because there's two scenes that i remember one is where like they're like these three guys that are like just prodding him and then there are these other guys in like a control room that are like keep on like mind locking him or something but they're not really paying attention to what they're doing and you can just tell he's like that's the comic relief scene yeah right yeah so first it's he's just been put out into the white prison and there's the three officers that they start prodding him and like saying like some numbers and whatnot to each other. And they get him to like run in a circle. And then he uh, gets taken back to get examined. And you see him like running all these tests and they put these things in his eyes and it's like putting some kind of chemicals or something in it. And in the end, it's like they have these results as a diagnosis, chemical imbalance. He has a defect. It says he has a kidney left is has a defect. I thought that was kind of something. <laughs> and then they, they leave him with blowing some air into his eyes. Remember that little thing floating across? Oh yeah, yeah. So it's like they wanna they wanna see what, what makes these people do what they're what they're doing, these sexual deviants. Yeah. So then that's when he goes back into the white space and there's some trainee learning the new system. And he's like, he says something about like a loose knob. Yeah. And he's like playing with the control panel and he's like flailing all over the place and spread eagle. So yeah, you learn that he's definitely highly controlled that this, this society can control even your movements if they so desire. But you have to wonder like, well, if they can do that there, is that only in that location? I mean, why couldn't they just lock him down when he ran out you know what i mean yeah i i don't know <laughs> it's kind of a, I, have, I have no idea like there's no sense of uh depth where they live right it just seems like it goes on and on and on yeah well then we, so he, he gets taken back to that group where they have like beds and i guess uh-huh. places, places to store food and that's where it gets kind of philosophical you see that's where he gets uh, meets up again with sen and he's like coming up with a plan like how are we going to break out of this and then there's the old guy that's being super philosophical so that, that's at the you know this point of the film they're making some sort of commentary on society in general when these people are trying to figure out their place in this society as they're stuck in this white prison and i don't know what did, what did you think about that scene like what you feel like it was important to the story of of this world i almost felt like it was out of place a little bit though it's weird it is kind of like a it kind of gives the audience to breathe a little bit before like the third act starts which is really a an action scene like it, it is odd it's like so slow and methodical and in the end it's just a giant car chase Right, and you could you could completely see where T where uh, George Lucas got what he wanted to do with American Graffiti when you watch the end of that film. Oh yeah, <laughs> so uh, the chase and those those cars are are pretty awesome. Yeah, you mean in this movie or THX? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, he got some sort of like some race cars that he got to modify up a bit. It's uh-huh. pretty neat, pretty cool. So yeah, we go through that philosophical stage when they're all trying to figure out what this all means. SEN's kind of like trying to figure out how he can be like the leader of the group or something. And then THX just like stands up and starts walking. I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, and then sends like, ah, oh, this is a good chance for me to declare my decision. Um, and <laughs> so they're like just walking and walking and, and then he starts complaining. Oh, the air, the pressure, I can't breathe. We got to stop. We got to turn back. <laughs> It's funny because THX is very silent through most of the movie. In fact, I think they intended this to be more of a silent film, and all of, all of the you know the sound design ended up being more of a world building. Like you get tons of dialogue in the sense that you're getting talked to. Yeah, George Lucas is not the type of director who spends hours and hours working on like performance. He's the type of director who likes to build worlds and you mm-hmm. can completely see that through uh almost every film he does like he's never he's never been very good of like sitting down with actors and really getting a great performance but he's been amazing at building worlds whether it's thx or whether it's american graffiti or whether it's star wars right. uh even freaking the last star wars movies the the new ones uh the prequels not the uh last ones which were god awful and the prequels were awful too but uh i mean i'm pretty certain those are fighting words <laughs> but uh but no yeah. they're, they're the prequels are awful but george lucas is he likes building worlds and he likes creating places that don't exist and he i don't know what i liked about thx is he pushed himself a lot with that film when he, and also with Star Wars, because I, he didn't have like all the money that in the world to throw at it. So I think it was very good for him creatively to do it. Mm-hmm. When he did get all the money in the world, it, it kind of does, didn't work anymore. When he like the new the prequel films weren't very good. Right. Right. What are you going to do? I mean, that's kind of the how things tend to go. Went to his head and. And then he sold it for how many billion? Uh, yeah. <laughs> billions and billions. Disney taking over. Uh, yeah. Man, did you see the last Star Wars films they made? The, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, my Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. It was awful. I mean, you know, it's it's definitely space opera. It is, but it didn't make any sense, man. Like the second, the the second to the last film was like Ray finds out, oh, it's it's anyone can be a, a special member of the Force, and the next one we're like, just kidding, you have to be from a special family, and they just threw it out the window, and it was just that just pissed <laughs> me off. But the Mandalorian's really good. What I like oh, about yeah. the Mandalorian is that you know it has that same feeling that star wars and thx had that dirty future is back again like they kind of got rid of that for for the uh for episodes seven eight and nine and for one two and three but that dirty future they put right back in the mandalorian again and and that's kind of what made star wars what it was right um 
Yeah, I agree 100%. It's like the Wild West of Star Wars. Yeah, that's I heard that like when they were making The Mandalorian, they didn't like look at Star Wars to try and um, to try and decide what would make it great. They looked at all the influences that George Lucas was looking at when he made Star Wars. And mm-hmm. that's why The Mandalorian seems like a Western, because it is. Right. It was. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, especially on Tantooine. Yeah. Oh, yes. George, how he lost his way. But, hey, he's still <laughs> a billionaire. Yeah, he no made it. crying for George Lucas. He made it. Oh, well, okay. So so they're, they're wandering back to THX and they're wandering into the, into the white. They come across the, uh, the man. He's like, it's waving. You remember that? Yeah. The man who is, uh, the actor, Don Pedro Colley, who, who he's been a few things, but nothing huge. He's actually from Oregon where I'm at now. So a little, little town, uh, not, not too far from here, but, uh, so he's kind of walking into the scene and he's happy to see him. He's starving. He's like, you got any food? And they're shocked to see him because he's a hologram. He is from the holographic TV. And so he's not really of their world. So they're kind of like in shock and you just like see the looks on their faces. And he's like, what? They're like saying like, how do we get out of here? And he's like, you go that way. And like, what, what are you talking about? This is where we came from. Well, you guys must've been walking in circles or something. There's a doorway. And then you see that like flashing light thing uh-huh. and they leave. So it's like this almost like mythological creature that pops up and shows them the way out of prison. <laughs> and this is when it kind of like the, the chase really starts. So kind of like the third act, I would, I would guess I would say. Yeah. So the, SEN gets separated. They like they find this the doorway out, and then they also they open it up and they get kind of like sucked into this crazy like it's almost like a river of people. Yeah. And uh, so that he finally loses SEN. I think THX was pretty tired of listening to him talk at him all the time. And then he kind of befriends this other this hologram guy. Now in the credits, he was listed as SRT, but he I don't. I don't ever remember hearing him being introduced with that name, the hologram guy. Oh. I don't know, but I I thought it was an interesting character. I was kind of sad to see him go because um, I wanted him to make it. But so he's this guy that knows, you know, how to get out of this place. But he also later on, we find out is unable to uh, drive a car anyway. So they sit down and that's when um, THX gets the, the lowdown from i'm just going to call him srt because that's what he was the hologram guy he says i'm a hologram i'm not real he thinks he's not even real right and uh he works for the fantasy bureau nothing wrong with the fantasy bureau yeah but he he had to get out of there because he he was stuck in the arm and leg routine (laughs) (laughs) and i think earlier in the movie there was a moment where he was kind of watching a comedic play on on the hologram tv thing holograph holographic tv so i think that was kind of a a reoccurring tv channel you could turn tune into comedy or violence or sex yeah that's about it mm-hmm. so the chase begins when uh srt 
opens up some unauthorized hatch and then some alarms go off. And then all of a sudden there's like this budget to catch THX. And they never mention the hologram guy. It's like he doesn't actually exist. It's almost like he's just a figment of his imagination or something. But he does, he saves them a couple of times. Like they're, they're wandering through that, uh, the actual telephone tech center that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, the real life place, which there's some beautiful shots there too. Uh, if you want an example of uh, a close up to a long shot, there's that shot where they, they enter in that building and you just see this row of computer or phone bank or whatever. And you get, it's actually a deep focus shot. So everything is in focus and you see THX and his friend in the distance. So you get that long shot and close, close up right at the same time because you got the technology over here and they are only um, on the far right hand side. So you get a very limited view of them, but you see all of this huge tech technology. I like that shot. That was one of my favorite shots. Did you have yeah. a favorite scene in this movie? The favorite scene of THX. Yeah. Um, so we're getting up, we're getting through most of them here. Anything coming up? As I said, the sound design I just love. Mm, like, yeah. just uh, I don't know if you've ever watched the trailer for THX, uh, the new one. No, I haven't. Not recently. Long time ago, probably. The ending is a great shot. Like, you almost think that the ending is com computer generated, where he finally gets out and he sees the sun. Mm -hmm. But it they had to like work on that shot like three or four times. They went out to that area. And uh, actually, I think it was Walter Munch who was the the oh no, it was the writer of the film who they got to play uh, Robert Duvall in that. Oh yes, yeah. so when he walks out, that's that's a great shot. But I don't know. I I love the fact that like I love all the video monitors in that too. Just like when when the the camera like zooms in on the video monitors and you see all this distortion. And it looks like almost like a Star Wars hologram. You can tell that that's the look that they got for the Star Wars hologram. Well, you can also hear hints of like Star Wars sound effects. Yeah, that's all Walter Munch. That's yeah. all him. If yeah, right. yep, yep. He is an incredible talent. I don't know if you've ever listened to the podcast Radio Lab, but there's mm -hmm. one episode where they they talk to Walter Munch about uh, editing. And he starts talking about how uh, I think he was editing some film, and he started to notice that every time he would do a cut, he used to cut on somebody blinking. And then he started going through all his previous work, and he would always cut on a blink. And then he realized that everybody did that. <laughs> well, he wrote a book called "In the Blink of an Eye" about yeah, editing. Probably was fun. <laughs> now, uh, is it? Is it Munch or is it Merch for Walter? Uh, I always thought it was Munch, but I could be wrong. Okay, because I, 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 when I wrote it down, I M U R C H. Just want to make sure Merch. I'm not screwing it up. Could be Munch. I, I don't know. I, I don't trust myself with it. <laughs> All I know is that guy's a great filmmaker. Yeah, I, mean, I even like Return to Oz. It's it's a good film. Scared me when I was a kid, though. Oh yeah, you ever see it? Oh yeah. Yeah, it was intense. Cool movie, though. Talk about special effects. The uh, Will Wright, the guy who used to do the California Raisins. 
Yeah. He uh, had like a giant special effects thing he made for uh, Return to Oz. It's like 15 minutes of nothing but com- uh, claymation in that film. Oh, nice. Yeah. Right. I, sh- I should see it again. I have Disney, um, Dis- whatever, the Disney one now. I-, I should watch it. I know it's on there. On Disney Plus or whatever? Yeah. They got some. Is it on there? They- yeah, it is on there. Uh, they cool. got. Uh, they did get rid of a few movies. They no longer show the Song of the South oh, for yeah. obvious reasons. <laughs> Have you ever seen the Song of the South? I saw it in the theater when Me I was too. a teenager. Yeah, it is racist. It is super boy, racist. Yeah, boy, is it racist? Big time. Yeah, can't say I was a huge fan, but it was of the it Song was, of the South. I, I love yeah. Cindy Duda. Oh I really yeah, like that. There's some there's some classic moments, but. Um, you have to watch it with a, a different kind of eye these days. Oh, yeah, definitely. If when you're watching it with a kid, you don't really understand, like you don't really question, oh, why is that black, that grandfather black guy? He's really, really happy. You don't right. really question like, <laughs> like why he's so happy. And right. maybe you shouldn't be that happy. Well, to go back to the movie, we're pretty much, I mean, we're getting close to the end. I mean, we're just basically at the chase scene. There's... uh a scene where they go in and they find a bunch of cadavers and they get ear tagged. That actually, that scene, a little more proof around the hologram SRT guy character. Uh-huh. He does. He is not affected by that ear tag being punched into his ear, but THX is like immediately like flips out because it's painful. So I have to wonder, maybe he is a fictitious character. Is he is he an imagined character, or is it? Are they just messing with us? I don't know. Anyway, so uh, after that, uh, we we go back to Sen, and he finds the religious TV station uh, in the big poster of Jesus. I think that's actually a piece of art that is supposed to be Jesus. Yeah, it's like a 14th century. I, I was reading a paper about it, and it, it is okay. a uh, a great work of art. But it, it is Jesus, right? So he's he's like illegally having a confessional moment, <laughs> and he gets caught in the act. And he's like, "I, I just want to go go back. I want to be part of the society again." And uh, this uh, monk or whatever who's faceless he's like you gotta you can't do this here buddy you gotta go and find one of those unichapels and then as soon as he touches the priest he like falls down dead just like do you remember that no i don't remember that part i thought that was weird like so he's like he's saying like he wants to be part of the society he wants to be forgiven and integrated again and then the next moment he's like confronted by this guy who says like, I've got to report you. Sorry, man, you can't be in here. Where's your name tag and all that. And he goes to like, just kind of touch him. And maybe he's just a robot too. He just like collapses and he runs out. But yeah, that that was kind of weird. And then after that, uh, yeah, we're real close. Uh, THX uh, and SRT are trapped in a control room and they find out where L-U-H is and that she's been sent to a, a reproduction center. And that's when we see all the babies and organs in bottles through the video yeah. monitor. 
and we find out that she she was listed as consumed and her name was reassigned. The, the reclamation center, I think is what it says. Yeah. Yeah. So she's now uh, body parts and uh, her, the name's now a fetus's name. And that's when I guess well, he knew that he was a father because she told him that when they had their last little hurrah in prison. Maybe we skipped over that part, but meh. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, he's like fighting the, the officers naked. <laughs> and that was that was the last time they saw each other. So she's gone. And that's when he learns. But he still decides, like, I'm going to get out of this place. I can't take it any longer. And then we're, so we're getting these cutscenes of uh, the budget control room. And they, the police have a specific budget that they can't really go over. Yeah, I remember that part. Yeah. And they, they keep saying things like, uh, what was that? Congratulations on under on being under budget. Stuff like that. Yeah. And I believe what happens is they, he finally like gets over budget and he's free. They just kind of yeah. let him wander away. Yeah, I mean, like, that's uh, he's so yeah, he's he keep they keep upping the budget and like he's getting closer and closer to that break point, right? Uh -huh. And that's when they they get the cars, so they they're still being pursued, and THX figures it out because he's used to managing controls or something. I don't think he's ever driven a car before, but we don't really know. But he takes off. And as RTs, he can barely fit into the car for one, and then he can't figure out how to get it going. And then as soon as he does, uh, he <laughs> he just bashes it into a pylon, killing himself. Yeah. There was a moment too where they said um, the felon was not located in the vehicle, so they don't they never reference the SRT character at all. So again, more more evidence that maybe he's just a fictitious to this world in general. I don't know. They never really talked about that much. You know, Lucas. He did call him kind of like a a, a wizard or on the side of the road or something like that. But yeah. Wow. It's a good movie. It's a great movie. Yeah, and then that's when they're uh, on the radio. So. It, THX stops and pauses for a moment, and that's when we hear on the radio, I think I ran over a Wookiee back there on the expressway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And then there's also the scene where he, they're under, he's like running through the underworld, and he gets attacked by some monkey beast thing. Yeah, yeah, I remember that too. The The studio were like begging Lu Lucas to say, you need to put that scene at the beginning. That way we could like shock the audience. And Lucas was like, no, I don't want to do that. That this, uh, no. Right. Anyway. <laughs> well, and they tweaked that scene a little bit too with some effects for the 2004 edition, I think. Yeah. It seemed like it was a little uh, manipulated. But yeah, so he, he uh, is still pursued and climbing up this huge like construction portal or something to like the surface. Tunnel. Yeah, and that's when they run out of their budget. They're like, we want to help you. Come back. He's like, I'm out. And uh, we end on him uh, riding off in the sunset, or standing standing off in the sunset. 
Yeah, it's the exact off. same. It's almost the exact same shot as Luke Skywalker looking into the uh, binary binary sun system, except it's only a single sun system. But right. it's the exact same shot. Right. Yeah, I didn't think about that. It's true. Yeah, if you ever feel like watching something really just out there and weird and want to know what uh, 1970s American cinema was all about, then THX is definitely the film for you. Most definitely. It's worth well worth your time. Uh, it is, again, like it's pretty experimental, so don't expect a straightforward story. But um, hopefully you've already watched it and you're listening to this to kind of maybe get a little more insight Hopefully we gave you some. <laughs> yeah. What I would okay. recommend is, yeah, just get a whole bunch of marijuana, smoke it, then watch THX. There you go. I forget, I think Kubrick was the one who said it, is that marijuana is for watching movies, not for making movies. But yes. uh, but it's definitely one to, well, watch it both ways because it's, it's great and you need to learn from it. But it, it's an incredible movie. Very true. Um, on a separate note, do you have any any other movie recommendations currently? Anything that you've seen recently that you'd say like you should pick up and watch? Movies? Uh, I don't know. I, I've been watching um, The Outsider on HBO, which is a TV show. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. That's, is, that, that's is that based on Stephen King? Anything? Okay. It's... Uh, yeah, that's a really good show. You know, it's weird. As time goes by, I think TV has gotten a lot more interesting than movies have, you know, to a certain extent. You could really get in. It's like television is to what novels are as to movies, what short uh, stories are. You know, you could get mm -hmm. just really involved and in depth in, in a TV show. Uh, the Expanse. I love The Expanse. If, oh if, man, that's I have not watched that yet either, and that's something that I know based on a book series. I think the book series is still going. They got one more book coming out. Okay, yeah. yeah well, I've read all the books. He's seen the entire uh, TV series. You need to watch that. Cool. That it, it's incredible. Right on. All right, it's on my list for sure. Okay. Sweet man. Well, well, I, well, it was great talking to you. I hope to do this yeah, again sometime. Most definitely. Thanks for being on the show. Appreciate it. Okay, you too. Have a great day, Bugby. Hmm. Have you seen THX 1138? Did you like it? Did you hate it? Maybe you felt violated by it? I don't know. <laughs> Let me know what you think, or maybe recommend a movie I should do on the show. Send me an email at podcast at filmchurch.org, or if you like old school, filmchurch at aol.com. It's kind of fun and short. Or you can check out filmchurch.org, my website, and use the suggestion box anonymously. If that's your bag, baby. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast jam. Leave a review if that's an option for you. I totally understand if you don't, but it would really make my day to see a response. You know. Next time, I dig into The Gate from 1987 with my friend Jesse Gee. 
It's a fun episode about practical special effects like forced perspective. So be sure to watch The Gates before checking it out. Um, at the time of this uh, episode, you can find it, the movie, The Gate, on Plex.tv or Tubi. That's T-U-B-I. Uh, both are free commercial streaming services, so you can watch it with commercials. That's all I got. Thanks for tuning in. Do you use dials on that radio box in your pocket? Thanks for subscribing. Peace. Peace.